Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. Uh, I want to start our time together this morning with uh, a medical update on Adam. Um, I know that if y'all are tracking the buzz or just heard some things going on last week, you know that he wound up in St. Francis Hospital and they were tracking some infections and things of that nature. Um, But all in all, they found no infections present, which is a major blessing. Uh, Praise God for that. Uh, They did find what they're calling a rare form of pneumonia. Uh, His blood oxygen levels dipped into the 80s, um, low 80s. Uh, So he stayed there overnight, uh, received some breathing treatments, and was dismissed because he carried uh, blood oxygen levels over the 90s. um, And so he is recovering at home. Um, He and Andrea are grateful for your prayers as he continues this recovery journey with its ups and downs. So please do pray for them, um, particularly the the emotional end of something like this. For all of y'all that have gone through a major surgery, you know that there are some mild complications and things that arise uh, during this process. Uh, and that can just be hard emotionally. Uh, so pray that they would stay encouraged uh, and upbeat about how everything is going. We are in week six of Genesis. And uh, it's been a wild ride. I don't know about you, um, but as I've kind of restudied this book, I, I didn't realize how much of the child Sunday school version of Genesis I carried around with myself until we kind of launched ourselves into this series, uh, reading stories with what feels like some fresh eyes. Uh, and it's, it's been a ride. It's, I've learned a lot. I've been challenged a lot. I'm so glad Pastor Leanne had to jump on the grenade of Noah. Uh, and she did an excellent job walking us through that story. She highlighted how the good ship Grace Uh, a.k.a. Noah's Ark, uh, foreshadows for us the grace available to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, And she also highlighted for us the tremendous artwork in the gallery through those doors. If you haven't seen them, I really encourage you to just take a walk through that hallway. I just want to offer a special thank you to all of our artists. Some of us don't uh, connect with, say, a lecture style of the presentation of material. Um, But as the artists have had the book of Genesis in front of them and they're partnering with the Holy Spirit and having him communicate things to their heart, uh, if we don't connect through words in this type of way, through a sermon, and you walk through that hallway, I think you'll find yourself just inspired. So thank you so much for those artists that have shared uh, a bit of what God's put on their heart. We're thankful for that. This week, we get to talk about the Tower of Babel. Uh, And I have to be honest with you, this one fell off my radar for a little bit. After Leanne preached Noah's Ark, I was like, man, I feel bad for the poor sap that has Babel next. Then I checked the calendar. I am the poor sap that has Babel next. Uh, Such a strange story. Uh, We'll get into that in a minute. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9 uh, in your Bible or your Bible app. But before we hop in, Uh, The Tower of Babel story closes off a major section in Genesis. 
Uh, it's Genesis chapter 1 through 11. They're some of the most disconnected of all the stories. There's a lot of interesting flow from one story to the other. By interesting, sometimes I mean no flow at all. Uh, they just kind of pop up and meet you. Uh, and then once we hit Genesis 12, we get into the story of the nation of Israel. Uh, and then we start tracking movement pretty easily with what we kind of call the meta-narrative of Scripture, what's God, what God is going up to uh, or what God is up to. Uh, but the structure is intentional by the narrator. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 through 11 communicates to us what the narrator believes are some essential background information for us to understand the story of Israel. They establish uh, things about God's character, his mercy, his grace, his justice. It, it communicates to us the nature of human beings, how we were created, how we we're created good. Um, but it also communicates to us a sin problem. And an unfolding of the complexity of the sin problem meets us in every one of these stories in Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And that's no different in the Tower of Babel story that we have in front of us. In this way, they set a scene for what God plans to do with the nation of Israel, uh, beginning with Abraham in chapter 12, starting next week. And the Tower of Babel story, in the narrator's eyes, is the last piece of pertinent information they want to communicate to us before we jump on that story. So let's see what it has to tell us. I'll read it for us in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech as people moved eastward. They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the whole face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To me, the Tower of Babel is one of the more unique stories in the Bible. It situates itself between two genealogies, and in that way, it kind of doesn't give us much of a connection to the flood story that comes before it or much of a connection to the uh, Abraham story that goes after it. And the, the context appears quite random, at least in my eyes. An early church theologian by the name of Augustine uh, was trying to do some sense-making about this passage, and he suggested there's a connection between the flood narrative and the Tower of Babel. Uh, that, that connection is that people wanted to defend against another flood. So they planned to build a very high tower that could stand above the floodwaters, essentially saying the people on the upper floors would be safe from any type of further flood. And in Augustine's eyes, here's what's going on. Uh, people heard about the justice of God. And so because they heard that God flooded the whole earth because of their own posturing, because of their own will and what they wanted to accomplish, instead of aligning themselves with God's will, Augustine said, they just prepared for a flood. 
Let's build a tower. Let's prepare for these things our way so we can keep pursuing our will and our desires. Uh, and I think that there could be a connection there. I think that's really plausible. I will also say, I just don't think there's enough context in this story for the Tower of Babel for us to make that connection directly. Um, it could be, but I just don't think that Babel gives us enough information to go, yes, definitively, that's what's going on here. However, the story does communicate a lot to us in nine short verses. So here's what we do know. People moved eastward. They decided to build a tower to make a name for themselves, but God stepped in and scattered the people about by giving them all new languages. What a strange story. For the longest time, I found myself asking a lot of questions about God's reasons for not wanting people to build a tower. I mean, think about it. Although these pre-modern people, I have no doubt, were very ingenious, and very capable of building grand things. And I'm sure this tower looked magnificent. To them, I'm sure it looked huge. But in the last 100 years or so, we have sent people into outer space. We have built towering skyscrapers in many different locations. And we travel via airplane through the heavens, right? And so it had me asking questions. Why is God wanting to interrupt a tower and he's allowed us in the modern era to do all of these things. Certainly, although these pre-moderns were ingenious, industrial, all these things, their tower couldn't possibly have competed with the 1,776-foot monstrosity of a tower that is the One World Trade Center in New York City. I mean, it couldn't possibly com compare. So what's the deal? What's up with God? imposing himself in such a way to stop a tower. I started to realize the more I marinated over this text that the story is not really about a tower, but about the people. God was concerned about the hearts of the people, not the heights of a tower. God was concerned about the hearts of the people, not the heights of the tower. And the story has two statements in it to let us know that the hearts of the people were not in the right place, that they've gotten a bit off track. They're not really within God's intentions for them. The first statement happens right at the beginning in verse two. It says, as people moved eastward. In the book of Genesis, and really throughout all of the Old Testament scriptures, Moving eastward is a euphemism for moving away from God's intention. So whenever we read the words, and they moved eastward, another way, that's another way for the narrator, narrator to tell us they're moving away from God's intention. The first time we see it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 24, where God placed an angel with a flaming sword on the east side of the Garden of Eden because Adam and Eve are moving out of God's intentions eastward. Then we see it again in the Cain and Abel story. In Genesis 4, 16, Cain went away from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now here we are, Genesis chapter 11, verse 2, people have moved eastward. Now the narrator is pretty smart. He realizes that we might miss this connection. So in case we miss it, he puts something else pretty big and bold right in front of our face so that we can understand that this is a heart posture issue. 
And it's in verse four. There it says, their purpose for building the tower is to make a name for themselves. That's their desire. That's their heart posture. They want to make a name for themselves. And make a name for themselves reminds me a lot about the heart posture of Adam and Eve. You know, to be like God. That there's one very important fundamental difference between these two stories. Adam and Eve are just a couple. It's one set of people with this big idea to stretch outside of the boundaries of God's intention for their lives. They want to be like God. Now, where the Tower of Babel story gets unique in its own way is it's not just one or two people. It's a community of people, a whole group set of people saying, let's stretch the intentions of how God has created us so that we can be famous, so that we can extend past where God has made us and accomplish something bigger. It's still a to-be-like-God type of heart posture. There is power in people coming together for a united cause, whether that cause is for their own good or not. The story of the Tower of Babel displays the power of a self-centered culture. This is a me and mine orientation of living. And what this story does a little bit more uniquely than the other stories which precede it is in the other stories, we see a person or two wanting more. Here we recognize or we see a set of people that realize their own limitations. I can only get so much. I can only do so much. But then the light bulb goes on. But if we do this together, if we link arms and we go hand in hand, then nothing can stop us. And I see this tower reaching the heights of the heaven as really more of a metaphorical heavens, as a desire to be like God. We can ascend to be a God or goddess-like status if we link arms together. Now, People coming together for a united cause, being able to do more than we could possibly imagine. There's nothing been more truer about that statement in my experience of life than watching my two twin boys function together. I have a five-year-old daughter named Addison. And when she was in that like little toddler stage, 18 months to say three years old, um, we used to like gate off little areas in the house, right? That we didn't want her to get into. We started to understand what her abilities were. And we had... Um, some things set up in order to protect her. Uh, and she functioned pretty well within those boundaries. Uh, then our boys came. I was a bit more overconfident than what my wife was. And I look at them and I go, 18 months old, how much can they get into? Same systems apply as what we had for Addison. So let's set up the same structure. It did not take long before I realized that I was making one flaw in my approach, that together, Although individually they had the same limitations as my daughter, together the world was their oyster. They could do whatever they want. Uh, soon gates did not matter. It's like we didn't even have them. I walked up one day into my living room and I watched and I saw my son standing on the, the, the thing that we have in front of the TV. I forget what those things are called, sorry. Uh, like this tall. He's standing there with crayons in hand, scribbling all over my TV. And I look at him, I said, Kason, what are you doing? How'd you get up here? And he points at his brother and goes, Bubba, which is a nickname for Colton. It's like, Colton, did you help your brother get up there? Yeah. 
what is it that the two of you can't do together? I don't know, it's horrible. Uh, so I started to recognize that the two of them together could do infinitely more damage in my home than just my daughter. And I had to start taking some preconceived thoughts. I had to separate them at all costs. Do not let them link up or house will be a sinking ship. And that's what we do. We still do that. I still can't let them together in the same room. When we were in our shelter uh, this early on in the morning, that was a bad thing. They were together. I was stressed. Not about the storms. The story of the Tower of Babel helps us to recognize that on our own, although we have some limitations in how much we can achieve this desire to be like God, together, that there is something different about the power of community. And that linked up as our eyes are situated or fixated on the me and mine, we are capable of achieving much more in that direction. The problem with that is that it's far more dangerous for ourselves. And the purpose of the Babel story is to warn about the power of a self-centered culture. One early church father commented on the Tower of Babel story like this. This is what the human race has lost in particular, not being prepared to recognize the limitations of its own condition, but always lusting for more, always lusting for more, entertaining ambitions beyond its capacity. In this regard too, when people who chase after things of the world acquire for themselves much wealth and status, they lose sight of their own nature and aspire to such heights that they topple to the very depths. That's the power of a self-centered, self-oriented culture, is the capacity to achieve things that will lift us up so high that it is only a amount of time before we will fall off of the height of that pedestal. Individually, we have a desire to be treated like a god. Collectively, we have the ability to achieve that desire. The problem with this is twofold. First, we fail to recognize that we were already created in God's image. We're as like God as we possibly can be. And if we were to lean into the limitations of God's design for us, we would find in fact that we are the most like God that we could ever be. So we're running a fool's errand when we're like, no, God, I'm sorry, I can do this on my own and I can be way more like you on my own. Fact is, we can't. We can't actually do that. Second, stepping outside of God's intention for our lives is simply not healthy. It's stepping outside the boundaries of how God has created us to live and it goes and pushes beyond the safe spaces of his design because God knows that living collectively outside of his will is not good for us. What we come to find out, at least in this story, is he dispersed the people by giving them all different languages. He disrupts their unity, just like I disrupt the unity of my twins and pull them in separate spots. The Tower of Babel story highlights for us in this way, the mercy of God. The early church father Jerome put it this way, when the tower was being built up against God, those who were building it were disbanded for their own welfare. The conspiracy was evil. The dispersion was of true benefit, even to those who were being dispersed. God is being merciful in his intentions of going, no, 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 no. What you're about to do is not good for you. 
It's like grabbing a child before they fall off of a really steep uh, environment and grabbing them back to safety. God's going, I'm going to pull you back. And to pull you back, I have to disrupt this unity. But this is where the story should make us start to feel a bit uncomfortable. Because we live in a country whose mission is to enable us to experience the most personal freedom possible. Now, that's a beautiful thing. And I'm so thankful for our service men and women who have fought hard for that freedom. I come from a family who has served our military very faithfully, and I'm very proud of that. That said, our culture is a very me and my oriented culture. And what we've become masterful at is building systems collectively linked to help us pursue as much me and mine as possible. In this way, as a society, we are building our own metaphorical Tower of Babel to make ourselves like a god or goddess. And so in this way, it's an attempt, if we link arms together, it's an attempt to provide for ourselves our own satisfaction, our own happiness. It's an attempt to be our own salvation. But the story of the Tower of Babel communicates to us that we cannot save ourselves, that this way of doing life, this engagement is dangerous and unhealthy for us. We can't, in fact, save ourselves from ourselves, not even if we link arms and do it together. As we end the 11th chapter of Genesis, what's communicated to us is we cannot save ourselves individually and we cannot save ourselves corporately. Something else is needed. We are fully reliant on the seed of Eve to crush the serpent's head, to break the mess of what we've done. And we get to wait in bated breath for Genesis chapter 12 to see what God's up to next because we can't do it ourselves. That's what the original readers are waiting to hear. What happens next? Who's the seed? Where does our help come from? But what I love about reading this as Christians is we've been able to read ahead. We know a bit more about the story. Although we cannot save ourselves, we know that a Savior has come. The Savior has established his everlasting kingdom. Jesus invites us to make a transition from building a tower to participating in a body. We've been talking about the power of a self-centered culture for a couple of minutes. Let's shift gears into talking about the power of a kingdom-centered culture. There might be no better place to start such a conversation than Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 16. I'm going to read it for us. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the bond, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers 
to equip his people for the works of service that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here's the deal. When we bind ourselves together for our own selfish ambitions, God disperses us out of his mercy. God protects us from ourselves. He knows that what we're, what we're doing, where we're going, the route that we're headed is not good for us. And so he pours out his mercy. However, when we bind ourselves together as the body of Christ, he pours out his grace. He pours out his spirit. When we shift our frame of reference from a me and mine oriented culture and then transition to be a kingdom oriented set of people, the church, the bride of Christ, and we posture ourselves as a you and yours with eyes lifted upward to Christ in terms of what his values are, working out to build this kingdom, his kingdom here on earth. We find this really paradoxical thing happens. We become unlocked. We get the freedom for which we've been hunting. We return into this state of recognizing and appreciating the fact that all along we have been like God, bearing his image and we're comfortable and happy within the boundaries of his safety and love. United as his body, we find purpose. United as his body, we find wholeness. United as his body, we find joy. And we have the opportunity and even the invitation from the Tower of Babel story to step back and ask ourselves some big questions. So I'm going to ask you to be reflective in this way. What type of culture are you participating in? What are you leaning into? What's the story of your life? What does it communicate? Is it a me, mine, let's link up, let's do this together and save ourselves mentality? Or is it a you, yours, God? Let's lean in together as the body. Communicate your love, your heart, your compassion, your perfect fatherhood to a world and a society that deeply, deeply needs your love. I invite you through the power of the Holy Spirit to be introspective this week and to go, Lord, show me. Where is it that my heart can shift and come into a closer alignment with your kingdom so that I might be unlocked and find the freedom that's always been there available to me in Christ and so that I might have help others become unlocked too, to leaning into what it truly means to be image bearers of a holy God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that like a good father, you put boundaries within our lives. And when we decide that, you know, we can get around these boundaries, you put a plan into place that protects us from ourselves. 
Lord, forgive us. Help us to repent from those tendencies and lean in and link up as a community of believers dedicated to living out your kingdom values. Because this world desperately needs a father and you're the perfect father. And we have the opportunity to communicate your love to them. Help us to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected with all that God is doing here at Redeemer, you can visit RedeemerTulsa.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Have a blessed week.